I'm hoping that you're finding your own prayers a happy experience. Someday we can talk about this maybe toward the end, about how you go in cycles and how you see things coming as you get older and more experienced. But I hope that your prayers occasionally wake you up in the middle of the night and you're praying without even realizing that you're praying. That's a way that the Holy Spirit has some good use to you. And frankly, the Holy Spirit wakes you up just to let you know that everything is all right. So think about that. And what you'll find, I think, is that there's momentum in your prayers. I've tried to prompt you to pray in little bursts first and then a couple times a day. But I'm not trying to flog you into uh, the kind of prayers that would uh, break you down or make you feel guilty because that's a tool of Satan. What I want to do is try to push you to pray and have you know that that's good for you and to let that gain some momentum, but to try to keep it at a mature level. Everybody's going to have the up and down when you can barely pray or things are so painful. Um, when your kids disappoint, when somebody dies, when you lose a job, there are these things that can drive you past prayer into no prayer. Um, you'll bounce back usually, but it's also the time when you need people around you to pray. I ran this for all saints on the 4th, but I just thought of it. I was thinking of it this morning when I was thinking about how we come together in the morning, and frankly, how much of the liturgy is actually prayer. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. All the places that we pray, when we collect our prayers, the Lord be with you, let us pray. The beauty of the Lord's Prayer being sung. There's so many things that are wonderful when you pray together. The interesting thing about this article is what happens to people when you take away their prayers, when they're used to it. So you have these monks who prayed um, eight or nine times a day. Vatican II comes through. Everything gets changed. And it interrupts the rhythm of their life. And they get despondent and depressed and they lack energy. They bring a psychologist in and say, what happened? And the only change that's been made is that they change their rhythm of prayer. They restore the rhythm of prayer and everybody gets better. I'd like to think that we're just like this, that you keep the rhythm of prayer. You know, you come in some mornings like this morning at the first service, there's just such an energy in the room. You can feel it from the first responses. We can feel it too, or how you sing. And it's good for us as pastors because we can just sort of relax into it. Part of what we're always trying to do is push you kind of bump you, nudge you a little louder, a little softer, a little faster, sometimes a little slower. But when you come in a morning like this, when everybody is just on and you can feel the energy in the room of your prayers together, that's very good for people who have had friends or family die this week, who've been in a bit of trouble, who just feel sick or maybe tired. When you come and give that energy into the room, there's a joyfulness there and everybody benefits by it. And I really want you to think about that as part of your prayers, that that communal prayer is, is it's good for you. It's one of the reasons that you come to church. Prayer is one of the reasons that you come to church. Everybody together, you know, um, you bring an energy to the place and you, you bless each other with that. We're going to go the other way just a little bit and talk about Jesus praying alone and the kind of effect that had on him. But I just wanted to remind you of how important it is that you're here on Sunday, among other reasons, not just to go to the Eucharist, not just to receive absolution, but also to pray with people for yourself and for others. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. When you walk into the, this is one of the common things that's said by visitors here, when you walk in, you can, you can feel it. Like when you, are, when you all are ready to go 
and you're blessing other people by what you do, there's no other place you know, people would rather be. In everything we do at St. John, we're always trying to get this sense of people feel welcome, they're excited to be there, they're proud to bring their friends there, they feel like they're blessed by it. But we obviously can't do that by ourselves. You can't do it by yourselves e- either. But together, you know, it's kind of this fantastic thing. So keep going. Um, it's a great joy when that happens. And you can feel it from the first. Sometimes we can, you know, make it up five or six minutes in, or we can pick it up after the sermon or something like that. But uh, go ahead and, and uh, you know, express yourself and feel like you're helping to lead the worship. Part of the reason to do that is that you remember how eager God is to give you his gifts. So often, one of the things that we get despondent about is we feel like things aren't being answered or we're not being listened to. And I've tried to dissuade you from that, primarily by saying, the Lord loves you more than you know, and he's already giving before you're asking, and he's already listening before you're talking. And you know, there was a margin comment last week where the, you know, the old desert father who just says, in any situation, just say, thy will be done, and it changes everything. Or there was, I follow the Pope on Insta, right? So, you know, he, every, I, I, every once in a while I like to check it. The other morning he had this thing where he said, he's, you know, he's talking like this, because he's not really Argentinian, he's Italian. You know, he's, he says, he's like, you should pray, you should pray. He said, prayer changes everything. It either changes things or it changes your heart. But no prayer goes unanswered. Prayer changes things. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's kind of old man talk because you've been through it for so long that you have to distill it down to a couple things or it'll make you crazy. You've lived through it and you know. It's actually true. When you say your prayers, things change. The world changes or you change, but something changes. It either changes inside you, that will be done, or it changes outside you. You actually get what you ask for or more. But God does, in fact, listen to that. Um, you know, there's this text, you know, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? And he asks for an egg, will instead give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So one of the things I want to start at least just by reminding you of this. We are so Christocentric as Lutherans, and that's fabulous because, in a sense, all theology is actually Christology. However, and so what happens is that shakes our prayers. And my guess is if we could you know, put a measure on you, most of your prayers would start out, Dear Jesus, or some similar thing to the second person of the Trinity. But I want to try to encourage you also, first, to pray for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a continuing gift. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, you do not possess the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit possesses you. So you pray for the Holy Spirit. You pray for the Holy Spirit to come and to have his way, first with yourself, that he would fill you and encourage you and strengthen your faith and lead you in the proper way. And then we talked about this and we talked about borrowing gifts for other people. You ask for the Holy Spirit to work on those whom you love and even those whom you hate. So you pray the Holy Spirit for yourself and you pray the Holy Spirit for other people as well. This is terribly, terribly important 
Because, as Jesus said, the Heavenly Father, this is Luke 11, 9, just a little bit from last week, the Heavenly Father will give the Spirit to those who ask him. And when you get the Spirit, you get divine strength and you get wisdom and um, you get guidance and you get energy and all the gifts the Holy Spirit brings. So I want to encourage you not only to pray to Jesus, but also to pray to the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit, or pray to Jesus that he would send the Father Spirit, or pray to the Father that he would send his Spirit, or pray to the Holy Spirit to come. You can do it in sort of any possibility. But when you get this combination of a lot of people together praying and praying for the Holy Spirit, there is this this love, this energy, this um, graciousness, this forgiveness, which is unmistakable and frankly can't be duped duplicated anyplace else. And you feel that what happens when you come to church. The outward facing, you know, the outward face of St. John to the world, the customer face, if you will, the outward face of St. John to the world needs to be love. It is the affect of love. But we cannot do this ourselves. It's only the expression of the Holy Spirit who bears Christ through us to the world and then bears people back to God the Father. So I, I, I just want to encourage you. I didn't sort of get to that last because I did a whole bunch of other stuff. But what I want to encourage you is to take Jesus seriously when he says, if you, ask the Holy Spirit, if you ask the Heavenly Father for the Holy Spirit, he'll give it to you. So many times Jesus says, if you ask, I'll give it to you. I'll give you this, I'll give you that. Why are you worried? I'll give you this, I'll give you that. But among the greatest gifts is that he will give you his Holy Spirit and all the things that come with that, all the gifts that come with that. So kind of keep that in mind if you would. Okay, everybody everybody, okay? Questions just about any of that stuff? All right, then I want to, um, I'm going to take you someplace frightening today, okay? So you've got, this is number eight. I'm not sure I can get all the way through this. This may have to, because I want to try to move through this a little more methodically and not leave you behind. But this terrible, this terrible um, title of praying your way through life as mediators, gods, and saviors. You, know, you, you should initially look at that and think that, you know, I've gone out of my mind. But this is going to be a quote from Luther by the time we get to the end. And this is either one of those things that's absolutely crazy or it is pure confidence coming from dependence on Christ himself. So we've talked um, so far a good bit about Jesus' public ministry, where he goes to people, where he heals them. He's preaching in the temple today. People are coming to him, and he's blessing them. But we have to see that there's two sides to this. There's the public ministry and then also the hidden ministry. So the public ministry, this is the point number one, the public ministry is doing the work of the Father on earth. Jesus comes to do the Father's work. One of the things I hope to do today is to prompt you to be more familiar with your Heavenly Father. We've talked a lot about how he's your Papa, Abba, Daddy, Father. And even if you had a bad father, if you've known bad fathers, you've been a bad father. That does not disqualify this. This is your Heavenly Father who loves you, made you, cares for you, and wants one thing in your life, that you be drawn back into eternal love forever. This is the work of Jesus, to come and draw people back. So Jesus cried out and he said, whoever believes in me, so interesting, 
believes not in me, but him who sent me. Now later he's going to say, believe also in me. But first, this is, this is how the, the Son is begotten of the Father. So if you believe in me, you don't believe in me. You believe in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. So you see Jesus and you see the Father, not visibly in the flesh, but you see what constitutes the Father, which is the heart of love. Right? God is love. It's not just that God does loving things. God is the energy of love. Right? God is love. I've come into the world as light so that anyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. So now already you have two seeing references. You're going to see the way God sees, and Jesus provides the light for you to see. So in a moment, I'm going to say to you, this is what constitutes doing the work of the Father. Seeing as, Jesus, seeing as the Father sees, um, saying as the Father says, and doing as the Father does. So seeing and saying and doing. So Jesus comes and he says, I see the way the Father sees. I do the way the Father does. I say the way the Father says. Now he says to all of you, hey, I'm the light so that you can see the way the Father sees. You see people the way the Father sees. This is why Paul can go so far to even say, you know what, I don't even judge people. And you shouldn't judge me. Because my judgment doesn't mean anything, nor does yours. This is why it's easy to love your enemies, for example. Not easy, but proper to love your enemies, for example. Because what you think about somebody is not the big thing that matters. What matters is how the Father sees them. And the father sees them like a father welcoming a prodigal son. The father sees it as one of his creation coming back to him. So Jesus says, believe in the father. This is what the father's like. He sees his own, and I'm light so you can see too. Now, if anyone hears my words, so now we shift to saying. First seeing, then saying, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them. Look at that. I don't judge him. We sort of always think about Jesus as the judge, and we even have Pantocrator, you know, Jesus coming with a sword in his hand on a throne from heaven to judge the world. Yeah, it's correct by extension and how things work and how duties are delegated. But in this crisp way, take it seriously. If anyone hears my words and doesn't do them, I don't judge them. Hey, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. Isn't that nice? Right? So you're in the way of... It doesn't mean there's not judgment. It doesn't mean God doesn't have standards. It means that God, Jesus, God the Father presents the face of love toward the world. And if you refuse that, you are your own judge. You, don't, you actually, in some sense, don't need anybody to judge you. Hell is when you get your way forever. Right? You say, I'm on my own. But look at, how, look at how kind this is. If you hear my words and you don't keep them, I don't judge you. I didn't come into the world to judge you, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. But there is Father's words. So I'm rambling on about this, but it's so simple. The Father sees... The Son sees as the Father sees. You see as the Father and Son see. The Father speaks. The Son speaks as the Father speaks. You speak as the Father and the Son speaks.
speak. Okay? I've not spoken by my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So in some sense, this is a remarkable thing. And in some sense, it feels so easy. Just, it, feels so, it feels so easy. There's no kinks in the hose here. Father to son to you to the world. It's great. And Jesus lives to please his heavenly father by obeying, by seeing and saying and doing what the father gave him to see and say and do. And this is, I've said to you before, Rita, the difference between Jesus and you and me, Jesus does what he's told. To obey is to do as you're told, right? And Jesus does as he's told all the way to the cross and through to the resurrection. So the Son, the Divine Son, doesn't just work for the Father. He works with the Father, and in public he expresses this as seeing and saying and doing, as preaching, as healing, as going to the cross. Okay, And that's his public ministry. This is kind of the Jesus that you're used to. And this is the Jesus we regularly embrace because it's so easy to be in his crosshairs. Every week we try to move you into into the sight line of Jesus so he can heal you or bless you or you feel that his gaze is on you or you're touching his garment so you can be healed. That's his public ministry. Now here's, here's the thing. It's exhausting. It's lonely. It's almost debilitating at times. And Jesus himself, in everything from withdrawing when the crowds are chasing him down to sweating blood. That's kind of the spectrum in Gethsemane, right? So everything from I've got to get away to I sweat blood. So he finishes up feeding the 5,000, and what does he do? He puts the disciples on a boat, and he pushes them off toward the other side, and he goes by himself to pray. A little executive retreat, right? It's exhausting. People are wearing me out. This is Jesus' hidden ministry in meditation and prayer. We've spent a lot of time in the past about meditation, how you take the text, how you chew it, how you listen to it. You see how it applies to your life and the life of other people. You try to live within that. Regularly, Jesus is engaging the text, so thinking about the words of the Father, engaging the words of the Father, this meditatio, right? You of live in the inside these words, taste them. But Jesus' hidden ministry, what upholds or what is the floor or the buttress or the, you know, the beams, this is what holds everything up is Jesus' hidden ministry. And this is what, why it's so important for us. You know, Christ's scripture prayer, right? Well, from the beginning, this is, you know, the very first day, Christ's scripture prayer. So Christ. Scripture, meditation, and prayer, saying what God has given us, say Christ, Scripture, prayer, the liturgy, prayer together, and then, right, alms and tithing and mercy and witness. But we will not survive. We will not survive as individuals, and we will not survive as a congregation without saying our prayers. Not because it's some, like, 
say your prayers or that's the end of you. No, it's like if you just, it's as simple as me saying to you, you wouldn't survive if you didn't eat. Or you have this, you know, you have this great feast in front of you and you just decide, yeah, I'm out. No, this is the way. You need this because the world is a desperate place and getting more desperate. You, know, you need this. You need a hidden ministry as well. Even when Jesus was most busy, he withdrew to spend time in meditation and prayer. Sometimes I've thought, I'm not, I'm not this brave, so I just put this to you as a hypothetical. What if I went to the elders and said, um, I want to take a year off from all my duties, but I'll just come each day, my normal day, and just pray for you. I'm very curious what would happen to you and to me. Frankly, I'm more curious what happened to me. There'd probably be an elders meeting and then a governing board meeting. Like, right? But I wonder, if you, I wonder if you ever think to yourselves among your, how you think about your pastor, I wonder what would happen if you think about uh, your pastor as, I wonder what happened if you just thought about having a pastor who just prayed for you all the time. See, in a way, it's a nice idea, and we think it might work out, and we know that that's true, but we couldn't quite, like, that doesn't quite get to the point of getting the new speakers hooked up so you can hear what's going on, right? <laughs> or, you know, getting the funeral luncheon just right, which, again, yesterday, it was, again, just right, thank you, and the week before, thank you to the persons who do that. But for Jesus, Jesus looks at everything else as kind of second level, Right, so there's his private ministry where he says his prayers, and that drives his public ministry where he speaks and sees and does, where he heals and cares and loves. But I just, and it's more than just like maybe a few of us should get together and pray once in a while, but this constant sense of always praying, you know, and what that would mean for you. It's a curious thing. I'm likely not brave enough to say that to you, but I am, it would be an interesting experiment. Much of this you can find in the Gospel of St. Luke, where Jesus talks about praying alone, often very early or very late or even in the middle of the night. So Luke 5, 15 and 16, but now even more report about him went abroad. So Jesus starts to get popular. You're already seeing this in the Gospel for today. We're in Luke. There's the Gospel. He preaches, hey, do what you did at home. Do it here with us. Right? And next week he starts to heal people and then the crowds start to swell. People are tracking him down. And there's this beautiful place in Luke where it says, and he looked at them, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were hungry, and they were tired. And then it says, so Jesus taught them. Didn't feed them first. He taught them first. And then he took off to pray. So look, the crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Like, this is out where it's dangerous, where he's alone. You know, I mean, we're, we're freaking out in Arrowhead because coyotes run down the street every other day. People are posting, oh, they saw a coyote. I'm like, yeah, we live next, there's going to be coyotes, right? <laughs> Think about Jesus where uh, the wilderness means, you know, wolves and bears and mountain lions and no water and scorpions and alone and the devil and then some other people occasionally, but also the devil and then, you know, there are, gets cold at night, but the devil's there too, right? So you, this desolate place where Jesus goes, and we kind of think, we don't usually factor this in. I will say, though, I, I, but I should say this, 
One of the things that the elders here, and I think Governing Board too, are terribly sensitive to, this was the genius of, for example, Nelson's sabbatical, where he went off. I don't know if you know this for sure, but he, the first thing he did was go off to pray to a monastery. It was great, right? That's important. He hadn't had enough time to do that, and he was going to do some other things, go learn from some bishops about things, which is important to go pray. And I, I, just, I would just hope you'll hear this in the right way. This is... Um, I don't in any way mean this to be the law to you, like you should pray more, you should pray better. No, I want it to be more like it's tossing you the keys to the car as you take a drive, right? You'll enjoy this. It goes really fast, right? That's what it's like. Or this is a really great bottle of wine. You, sh- you won't believe it when you taste it. I mean, it looks beautiful. The nose is great, but if you taste it, you won't believe what this is like. It's like that. Right, so don't, please don't hear this, I, and I don't mean it in this way, because I don't feel like I need to like, beat you up to get you to do things. You're fabulous people. You come to church all the time. You're always in Bible study. But look, there's this thing called prayer that if you did it, it would be better for you, your kids, your wife, your husband, everybody you know, this congregation, and even the world, which is kind of a rough place sometimes. And Jesus himself didn't always think it's about feeding people who are hungry or healing people who are kind of stove up or poor. No, what Jesus thought was he needed to take some time on a very regular basis, intentionally, even when people were tracking him down, chasing him down, to say his prayers. So the conclusion of that, kind of at the bottom of the page, Jesus' public work is sustained by his hidden work or doing his heavenly Father's business, seeing saying, doing, flows out of his prayer life. And if we're going to follow Jesus, it's important that these things don't get disconnected. So we'll be, we'll be able to do more good if we can just say a few prayers once in a while. Actually, I want to say it more strongly. We could do more good if you have, and I have, the discipline and the priority and the joy of saying our prayers on a regular basis. I'm kind of begging you at least for a couple times a day, morning and evening. But other times as they come to you too. So, you okay? You see how these things are connected? Can you hear this in the right way as a gift for you? This is another way Jesus tries to love you. This is the way, you know, somebody buys you a gift and you think, oh, that's not quite me. But then, you know, a year later you try it and you're like, this is fabulous. It's like that. You may not understand it, but just do it and then you'll understand it. You okay? All right, point two. We see Jesus working with the Father in the Gospel of John. This is how Jesus works. So this isn't just theoretical. This is one way to read through the Gospels. Jesus does these miracles by doing, but he also does miracles by saying. And there's kind of the timeline. That's just John 4, 5, 6. If you just kind of read through, you see that Jesus is talking to people and touching people and doing things. But it's usually some combination of both. And I've given you Lazarus as this example. I'm just going to read to you. It's a longer story, as you know, and I've cut it down and also bolded some things. But just kind of read through this story as seeing how prayer is before this story, in this story, and after this story. So Jesus said, this illness doesn't lead to death. It's for the glory of God, God the Father. And so that the Son of God, me, may be glorified through it. Now look at this. There's your front-facing 
you know. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Then Jesus told him plainly, Lazarus has died. For your sake, I'm glad this happened so that you may believe, but we're going to go see him. And then Thomas, obedience. Hey, if Jesus is going to go there saying and doing, we're going to go there saying and doing. Let's go that we might die with him. Then a little later, Jesus comes to Martha. Hey, I'm resurrection. I am life. You believe in me, even if you die, you'll live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yes, I believe, Lord. I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God, come into the world. Jesus said, hey, where'd you lay him? They said, here. Jesus weeps. So this is love in tears, right? And then he says to Martha, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you'd see the glory, the holy power of God? So they took away the stone. You should already sort of hear resurrection, uh, Easter morning impulses here. They took away the stone. And now look what happens, right? Jesus could, if he wanted to, just say, come on, let's go. Or he could go in and touch him or he could do something else. But look what he does first. Jesus lifted up his eyes and prayed. He starts by saying, so a saying, Mary of the Father, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And this is a prayer that you all can say. When you're done with your prayers, it would probably be good for you to say, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Because I think a lot of times we say our prayers and we hope for the best. Right? One of the answers to your prayers is your Father has actually heard you. So I mean, you could, these are the sort of things you can tuck in for your encouragement. Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. So much for prayers going unanswered or untended. No. The Father answers every email. Right? It's all there. But I said this on account of the people standing around me. So Jesus says his prayers because it's good for you. Isn't that nice? On account of the people that they may believe that you sent me. So you see now, and I'm going to in a moment go to connection and even access. So basically Jesus is saying, I'm praying to you so that it's good for them. This is no different from, or it's similar to, is maybe a better way to say it, when they brought the paralytic, right? Right? So the Father's going to look at the Son and bless you. The Father's going to look at the Son and bless Lazarus. Father, Jesus is going to look at the people who brought him and bless the guy on the mat. I mean, Lazarus isn't doing anything. He's dead. Three, how long has he been dead? Been dead four days. Oh, even for us, that's a long time. Right? When he said these things, he cried out. Right? So now you have another word, a doing miracle. He cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with linen and strips, and his face were wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, um, unbind him and let him go. Right? The last words of the Mass. It's over. Go. Go get busy. So um, the encouragement just in these first two points is that you too would connect your public life and your private life. That you connect your public face with your private face. Or your public work and words with your private work and words. Your private work and words are your prayers. You pray for what you need. You try to see the world the way your Heavenly Father sees it. You do as your Father does. This means things like loving your enemies and being merciful to those who hurt you and 
being generous to other people. That's what the Father does. He does it through the Son. We're used to it through the Son. What the Father loves and wants all his children home again, right? The prodigal son story. The Father (laughs) runs to the prodigal. So your ethic toward the world is to run to the world and not to withdraw from the world. You run to the world and embrace them. And then you let the chips fall where they fall, right? So three, as disciples who follow Jesus' way, we too are called to do the work of our Heavenly Father with Jesus in obedience. And you should know that what Jesus did to the deaf mute, Ephetha, so he opened his ears and opened his mouth so that he could hear, meditatio, the text. He could hear the words and then say the words and then sends him up on his way to go do some things. That's exactly what happens to you when you come here on Sunday morning. The Father loves you. He forgives you. He heals you. He energizes you. He sends you out to say and do, to listen and then do in the world what he is here to do. And this happens to us, among other ways, with um, how we pray. Uh, I'm going to do one more thing because I want you to think about it sort of as we go. We're going to come back to this. And I've done this with you. If you ever knew members with me, we've done this. Or I'm sure I've talked about this a zillion times. Some of these things I'm always worried that I've, you're like, yeah, yeah, you know, move on. But um, number four, you know, how can we do things that would please God? So in faith, which means everything is forgiven, through prayer, and then in the name of Jesus. And I've said this to you, you know, probably every year I've ever been here with you, but I really would like you to take this seriously, that what you pray in the name of Jesus is done for you. Jesus says, truly, truly, this is his way of saying, like, pay attention, this is a main point, right? You might forget the rest of the deck, but this is the, pay attention to this particular slide, okay? This is it. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you believe in me, if you love me, if you walk with me, if you confess me, if you believe in me, you'll do the works that I do. So, and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. This is is great, right? You have all these things that you see that are troubles. You have all these things that you want in the world. If you don't, I will help you. You know, it was one of the interesting things. Um, you remember last year we gave, remember the Sunday we gave away, made away money to kids, 50 bucks. But, but the deal was you had to go spend it on somebody, right? And so there are a couple of kids who didn't take the money. And that is such a curious thing because usually if you offer somebody 50 bucks, the first thing they'll do is like relieve you of it, right? <laughs> They're very happy to... But I talked to a couple of kids um, afterwards, and this is one of the nice things about knowing kids from when they're young. I said, hey, you didn't take the money. What's up? And there were a couple of people, a couple of kids, you know, I got kind of the same response, which was, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know anybody to spend it on. Or one, one kid said, yeah, I don't know anybody poor. And you know what the great thing was? That's exactly one of the responses we wanted. Because if we put 50 bucks in your hand and say, you've got to go do something, you actually have to find the poor. You actually have to start to see them. This is exactly the same writ large for all of you and for me. We need to see what the Father's work is. You know, the death of a church, the death of a congregation, is when 
all eyes turn in. And there is no contradiction between doctrine and missions. That's, you know, stupid is the nicest thing I can say about that. Jesus prays like crazy all the time in purity toward the glory of showing the Father to the world. There is no disconnect between doctrine and missions, if you will. You always have to be outward facing. You always have to think to yourself, what do we do next? One of the things we struggle with here is we, and this, I'm, this is the last thing I'm going to say. This is kind of the, so this is the kind of stuff I, we talk about in elders. One of the things that we struggle with here is we can't really, um, with three pastors, we can't really do much more for you. There's um, all the hospital calls and weddings and funerals and stuff there is to do. We can't, uh, we can't, <clears throat> there's not enough of us. But it's complicated if you increase beyond the pastors you've got or if you add staff, you have to manage staff. Or if you start to have more pastors, then, you have, then there's not enough pulpit space and enough liturgies and how these things can work. So one of the real questions for us is how do we continue to face out into the world um, when we're kind of at the end? And real honestly, you're too nice. So what happens is the people come into the congregation and they're like, ah, oh, I would love to land here. And then we're like, ugh, because, you know, we don't have any more tables set up, you know. And, you know, we've we got to turn this seating because there's people coming again at 8, you know. So we have to, one of the things the governing board and elders are really going to think about in the next 5 and 10 and 20 years is how you all can still be really kind and attractive and yet and loving toward the world uh, and not shut everything down, Right? So it's just our little game. It just, it just can't be that way. And yet, on the other hand, you have the real mechanics of, you know, what do you do? Do you start another church? Do you give all the money to missions? Do you just support a school downtown? How do you make this happen? You cannot, I'm just telling you this last thing, you just cannot, you cannot, you cannot ever turn your eyes inward and think we're all in and it can only happen here. That is not the mission of Jesus. If anybody says that to you, run the other way. Right? There's an impulse for that because it's easy and it feels good. We got this thing. It's like having a clubhouse. We're all in. This is great. And that is not it. What, this is a place where you learn to see as your heavenly father sees. You learn to give away gifts like Jesus. You speak the way Jesus speaks for the father. You do the works of the father through Jesus. And your connection is only through Christ. And you can never lose that. So everything you do... Every last thing here has to be done beyond excellent, right? Because it's a witness to, to the Father through Christ. Everything you do has to be at your farthest best capability. This is why the temple is better than anybody's home in Jerusalem, because it's the temple. It's where God lives, right? You know, one test case for any parish is, is your sanctuary nicer than the nicest person's home, right? Good. So you have to always think to yourself, how can we not just do things, but do them in the way that people are being raised from the dead? Right? I mean, Lazarus didn't kind of come out like zombie, and then Jesus is like, ah, I got that pretty close. Let's go have lunch. No. <laughs> all the way, right? Always your best. Always more. Always for others. All the time. Never, ever go the other way. If you go the other way, it, it will be your slow death, right? 
Always for others, because that's what Jesus does. Okay. Um, I'm going to try to have the presence of mind just to pick up here next week. But please, if you could just take a look at this. And I'll give you a little homework, which is, it's always good to kind of reflect on this. Um, I suspect you pray the same names over and over again. But kind of reflect on what name. When you pray, do you pray, O Heavenly Father? Do you pray, O Jesus? Do you pray? What do you pray? But you'll notice one of the things that the vicars do here, every week it's the vicar's job to uh, excavate the names of Jesus. So you'll notice when we pray, doot, 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 doot. There, we do pray for the same things every week. We pray for the for this congregation, the church, and the world. We pray for the sick. We pray for the dying. We pray for the, those who have somebody who's dead. We pray for those who travel. But in each of those things, each week, the vicar's assignment is to find a name that can bear the weight of that petition. One of the things I would like you to do is kind of reflect in your own prayers this week what names you always use. My default is always, oh, Jesus, right? But probably if you're sick at the hospital, I should pray, oh, great physician, because this text says, I get what I can get from a name. And the names are important. So we're going to come back to that. Um, and you should, in that, then reflect why the first commandment is God and the second commandment is the name of God. While Why the Lord's Prayer starts Father and um, it then begins, Father, hallowed be your name. Father, name, God, name, in my name. This is all unbelievably important. Okay, And what I want to do is enrich your prayer lives just a bit by having you reflect on the names that you use. It'll take you places where perhaps you haven't been before. All right, we got to go to church. Love you all. Um, keep going. Say your prayers. Just say your prayers. Steady like the snow. Say your prayers like the cold. Just keep going, all right? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.